1: Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, the month of March brings new hope, but also new warnings not to go too far too fast when it comes to lifting health restrictions. As America closes in on the one year anniversary of the COVID-19 pandemic, President Biden's push for nearly 2 trillion more in economic relief is close to becoming a reality. This
3: nation has suffered too much
2: for much too long, despite new supplies of COVID vaccines, the logistical challenges of getting shots in the arms of Americans remains a big obstacle to getting back to normal. Another challenge: more, more, and more states are already easing COVID restrictions, including mask mandates.
3: The Last thing we need is Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime everything's fine. Take off your mask forget it. It still matters.
2: We'll talk to Dr. Anthony Fauci and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Plus, we'll check in with two governors, West Virginia Republican Jim Justice and New Jersey Democrat Phil Murphy. Then, as the trial of Derek Chauvin, the former police officer accused of killing George Floyd, gets underway, we'll talk with civil rights attorney Ben Crump. Finally, what's on the minds of Americans a year into the COVID 19 pandemic?
4: I think this virus is pretty much done.
5: My sister and I both got our vaccines and everything, and we're going to put our masks on, and we're going to go to Vegas and have a good time.
2: It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to face the nation. If all goes as expected early this week, many Americans will soon receive a third installment of economic aid from the federal government. This latest bill brings the total to nearly $6 trillion that has been spent in the past year to combat the pandemic and shore up the economy. President Biden outlined what's in the package after Senate passage yesterday.
6: Over 85% of
3: American households will get direct payments of $1,400 per person. Unemployment benefits will be extended for 11 million Americans who've lost their jobs. Schools are going to have the resources they need to open safely. And one more thing, this plan is historic. Taken all together, this plan is going to make it possible to cut child poverty in half.
2: We begin with senior national correspondent Mark Strassman in Atlanta.
3: COVID America has an ideal. Everyone deserves a shot, but with lagging distribution of the three approved vaccines so far, less than 10% of Americans have been fully vaccinated.
6: It may seem tempting to try to rush back to normalcy as if the virus is in the rearview mirror. It's not.
3: Here's progress. The trajectory of new daily cases down nearly 75% since the first of the year. Although the number of new cases seems to have leveled off, scientists see twin threats, COVID variants and COVID complacency. Now is a great time for Texas to be opening up. On Wednesday, Texas will lift its masking mandate, the 16th state without one.
7: woo <laughs> I'm about done with masks.
3: California's getting ready to ease restrictions that were once among America's toughest. When Major League Baseball season opens next month, the state will allow a limited number of fans. At the University of Colorado, students partied as though the COVID threat was a class in ancient history. Immunologists agree this crisis is far from over, and getting shots in arms means everything. Polls say about one in five Americans don't want the vaccine. For the rest, the high demands obvious at mass vaccination sites, this California roller rink, the Minnesota Vikings practice facility, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. FEMA is also opening two mass vaccination sites. One of them here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. The goal is to give 6,000 shots a day and target people living in lower-income neighborhoods near the stadium.
2: Margaret? Mark. Thank you. We go now to the president's chief medical advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. You recently warned that the country could be at risk for another infection spike. Are you worried about a fourth wave of this epidemic?
8: Well, my concern, Margaret, is based on the fact that although the cases are coming down very nicely, you have a very sharp diminution Over the past week and a half or so, we've seen that that decline has now done this, essentially starting to plateau. And historically, if you look back at the different surges we've had, when they come down and then start to plateau at a very high level, plateauing at a level of 60 to 70,000 new cases per day is not an acceptable level. That is really very high. And if you look at what happened in Europe, a few weeks ago, they're usually a couple of weeks ahead of us in these patterns. They were coming down to, then they plateaued, and over the last week or so, they've had about a 9% increase in cases. So the message we're saying is that we do want to come back carefully and slowly about pulling back on mitigation methods, but don't turn it switch on and off because it really would be risky to have yet again another surge, which we do not want to happen because we're plateauing at a quite a high level. 60 to 70,000 new infections per day is quite high. Mm-hmm.
2: I know you've been watching carefully this new New York strain that has shown some resistance to uh, antibody treatments and vaccine. How widespread is it?
8: Well, it's not widespread yet, but it seems to be spreading pretty efficiently through the New York City metropolitan area and beyond. One of the things you have to be careful at is that when you get a variant that has the capability of being rather vigorous in in its capability of spreading, and fact is that it eludes a bit, not as much as the South African isolate, but eludes a bit some of the protection from the antibodies, from monoclonal antibodies, as well as the vaccine, the one thing you want to do is to make sure you do not allow that to continue to spread. Two ways to do that, get people vaccinated as quickly and as expeditiously as possible, and above all, maintain the public health measures that we talk about so often, the masking, the physical distancing, and the avoiding of congregate settings, particularly indoors. That's what you can do to prevent the spread of a worrisome variant.
2: Mm Doctor, you know, people are exhausted, and so much of this game seems to be about human psychology. Um, States are moving faster than the federal guidelines are allowing for here. When will the Biden administration put out some clear benchmarks for people at home to make the judgment about how they can return to normal?
8: Yeah, Well, when you're talking about benchmarks of people who are vaccinated and how a vaccinated person can interact with a other vaccinated person or with unvaccinated people, those guidelines are coming out from the CDC really imminently, Margaret. I would imagine within the next couple of days for sure. One of the things that I think we should point out every day that goes by that we keep the lid on things will get better and better because we're putting now at least 2 million vaccinations into the arms of individuals each day. And as the days and weeks go by, you have more and more protection, not only of individuals, but of the community. So we're going in the right direction. We just need to hang in there a bit longer. We will be pulling back on these mitigation methods. It's not gonna be this way indefinitely, for sure. We wanna get those levels of virus very, very low. And then we will have much, much easier time to safely pull back and get the economy and all the other things that we want to be normal.
2: But what will drive that? Will it be seasonality? I mean, we're going into warmer weather. Is it going to feel safer? And then in the autumn, we have to pull back again?
8: I don't think so, Margaret, because we've been through this movie before where we felt we were going to get some relief in the summer. And if you go back and look at the patterns We've had surges in the middle of the summer. Generally, respiratory viruses do better in the sense of better for the community in the summer, but we can't rely on that now. What we need to rely on is getting people vaccinating and continuing the public health measures with the gradual pulling back. Uh, we, we wanna make sure people understand this is not gonna be indefinite. We need to gradually pull back as we get more people vaccinated. And that is happening every single day, more and more people. And particularly as we get more doses, which are going to be dramatically increased as we get into April and May. And as the president Mm -hmm. has said, we will have by the end of May enough vaccines to vaccinate everyone. We'll have to put a big push to get it into people's arms. But by that time, we're going to be doing much, much better. We're going to have community vaccine centers. Vaccine and pharmacies, okay, sorry.
2: Sorry, now, what about high school students? Should they be vaccinated before the fall?
8: Uh, well, actually, that's a very good question. And right now, the tests are being done to determine both safety and comparable immunogenicity in high school students. We project that high school students will very likely be able to be vaccinated by the fall term. Maybe not the very first day, but certainly in the early part of the fall for that fall educational term. Elementary school kids were doing this, what's called age de-escalation studies Mm -hmm. to make sure it's safe and immunogenic. And then they likely will be able to get vaccinated by the very first quarter of 2022.
2: All right, thank you very much, Dr. Fauci. New Jersey has been one of the hardest hit states with the highest per capita COVID death rate in the nation. Governor Phil Murphy joins us from Middletown. Good morning to you, Governor. Uh, as we just laid out, it has been rough in your state. You have had two real waves, first at last last time around this year, this time around last year, I should say, and then again in the fall. Uh, why did you get hit so hard twice?
9: Good to be with you, Margaret, and Tony Fauci has been an extraordinary advisor to us and to me personally. We got hit uh, as part of the Metro New York City reality last uh, winter and spring without question. Uh, we're the densest state in America. Uh, that, that's usually a good thing as we build out our economy, as we take advantage of our location. But with a pandemic, uh, it's been a, uh, as my late mother would say, a big cross to bear. And that is also a contributing factor as to why we also got hit hard with the second wave. We assume, by the way, that the New York City variant that you and Dr. Fauci were talking about uh is in new jersey so that's another example that we're in the densest not just state in the country but the densest region in the country with lots of commuting back and forth lots of common behavior whether it's work uh, or otherwise and uh, that's just the reality we'll do everything we can to to push back at that
2: we will be watching for that Uh, i want to ask you though about your record and last spring it was last march that the your administration ordered long-term care facilities to start accepting Uh, infected residents. Um, New York has gotten a lot of scrutiny for a similar decision. Are you confident that New Jersey did not undercount or deliberately or otherwise nursing home deaths?
9: Yeah, Margaret, I don't have any insight in New York, but I have uh, a clear answer as to what we did in New Jersey. Our health department, our commissioner, was explicit uh, black and white. If you readmit a previously COVID-positive resident, They need to be segregated, Uh, they need to be separated uh, into either their own floor, their own wing, their own building, and staff as well. Uh, Secondly, I think we started reporting probable deaths from COVID as early as June. Thirdly, we hired in the middle of this a firm that came in independently Mm -hmm. and held up a mirror to our practices uh, and, and gave us a pretty brutal assessment and road path forward, and lastly, we said to long term care facilities, by the way, if you can't separate, come to us and we will find another alternative. And many did. So you're so confident uh, that's in the numbers. obviously Those were a set of steps. I'm confident in the numbers. Yes, okay. sadly. I mean, it's tragic. We were clobbered and we mourn the loss of each and every one of those lives. But I am.
2: Do you regret that decision to put sick people into nursing homes, even in the conditions you laid out?
9: Margaret, if the operators followed, and, and we believe that most, thank God, did, the, 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 the pattern that I, or the instructions that I just laid out, that's the, that's the, that was the right course to take. Mm-hmm. This is their home. So to say to folks, we're, we're not only gonna separate patients, but separate staff. Remember, a lot of these folks got infected unwittingly because staff members were walking in and out of these facilities uh, asymptomatic, but COVID positive. So it was not enough just to separate the residents, but to separate the staff. Did some operators not take our advice? It's possible. And if they did, if they did not, then they deserve to pay a price for that.
2: That's at the state level. The Justice Department we know has been looking at a number of different states, New Jersey included, in regard to nursing home deaths. Do you know the status of that probe?
9: I do not. And again, we have been transparent from day one. Again, this is not to make light of any single loss of life. We Mm -hmm. got clobbered in long-term care. America got clobbered, the world got clobbered, Uh, but we have been transparent and explicit from day one.
2: I want to ask you about uh, your neighboring state governor uh, and the allegations uh, against Andrew Cuomo. Um, You've called them deeply troubling. But since you made those remarks, even more allegations have come to light. Five women now are accusing him of uh, inappropriate comments or unwanted physical contact. At what point does this become disqualifying for him?
9: Listen, Margaret, I'm going to stay where I've been on this, which is this is deeply troubling. And more data points make it even more troubling. Uh, and an independent investigation, which all parties appear to have come to the conclusion was the right road forward, uh, I, would, I would agree with that. Let's see where that comes out. Uh, and I would just say every person, regardless of who they are, who has a concern, has a right to be heard, and that concern has a right to be investigated, and God willing, that's what will, will happen here.
2: I mean, two male staffers now have described bullying and verbal abuse. Charlotte Bennett gave an interview to my colleague, Nora O'Donnell, this week. I'm sure you saw it, where she alleged the governor was grooming her to sleep with him. Uh, should he resign?
9: Listen, Margaret, and I think, uh, listen, as I say, this is deeply troubling, uh, deeply concerning. Let's let this inve- independent investigation play out hopefully on an expedited basis, see where that comes out and then and then see where we go from there.
2: All right. Governor Murphy, thank you for your time today and good luck with that New York variant. Thanks for having me, Margaret. Face the nation. We'll be back in one minute with another governor, Jim Justice of West Virginia. Stay with us.
10: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy.
2: We turn now to West Virginia, one of the state's lifting restrictions and opening businesses at full capacity. Governor Jim Justice joins us from Charleston. Good morning, Governor.
11: Good morning, Margaret. How are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing well, and I know you must be pleased uh, since you are one of the very few Republican governors who supported this $2 trillion COVID relief package that the Senate just signed off on. How do you justify to your fellow Republican governors and to the country why this is worth $2 trillion of taxpayer money?
11: Well, Margaret, I've got to just say just one thing, and it's just this. You know, from the standpoint of signing on to pay off big pension debts and everything, I've never been in favor of that at all. Now, I've not seen all the particulars about the bill. What I'm signing on to is just one thing. You've still got a lot of people in America that are really, really hurting. A lot of people that are struggling trying to pay the rent. And a lot of states and, and, and counties that are hurting as well. Now, in that... When we tighten down, and I'm a business guy, I'm not a politician, when you tighten down things and everything and you just try to skinny it down and just do X number of dollars, we have proven that we have missed the boat. What we need to do is we need to go big or don't go, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pleased with with the fact that we're going big and we're going to absolutely try to really right ourselves and get our economy back and going.
2: You mentioned pension funds, which is one of the criticisms from Republicans that these funds are, are, you know, used in ways they're not intended to be by Democratic governors. But you've been criticized yourself by your home state uh, senator, Joe Manchin, uh, for sitting on past federal COVID relief funds and then using it for unrelated projects like potholes. Joe Manchin said, I don't know of a pothole that's had the COVID virus. How do you respond to that?
11: Listen. Joe Manchin is a professional politician, and I'm not gonna get in a food fight with Joe Manchin. I mean, absolutely, you know, Margaret, we have handled the CARES dollars here perfectly. And absolutely, this state is being managed very well. Now, along the way, you know, if Joe wants to continue with all of his political rhetoric and everything, I can't do anything about that. Like I said, I'm not a politician. I think his statements are ridiculous.
2: So you would stand by the, what, $100 million on roads?
11: We spent $50 million of our CARES, $1.25 billion on medical access roads to be able to help people in West Virginia to be able to get to a medical facility. Our roads had gotten in such terrible shape Mm -hmm. and part of it on Joe Manchin's watch. And absolutely, we spent $50 million of a 1,250,000,000 on our road repairs. Yes, we did.
2: I wanna ask you about uh, your state and its response uh, to COVID. As we introduced you, you have loosened business restrictions, but you have kept in place a mask mandate. And in fact, this week you said the decision to lift it by some of your fellow governors was just kind of a macho thing. Um, how do you respond to those in your party who say masks violate their rights?
11: I think that's ridiculous. You know. You know, I don't like the mask either, but when it really, really boils right down to it, you know, Margaret, I have a saying, you know, one robin doesn't make spring. And you know, when the first robins start coming back, if you just react and run out, oh, you know, it's wonderful, it's spring, it's spring, you're about to get hit by a winter storm and absolutely get your butt handed to you. You know, in this situation, we need to be a little more cautious. Nobody likes a mask, but for crying out loud, if we could be a little more prudent, for 30 more days, or 45 more days, or whatever it took for us to get on rock solid ground. That's the approach West Virginia is going to take. And that's the approach that i think it should take
2: you have uh been lauded for success in getting vaccination out to your people it's about 18 percent of the state i believe that's been vaccinated but i want to ask you how you're doing that because what we see in polling particularly from for example the kaiser family foundation they say that nearly four in ten republicans three in ten rural residents are vaccine hesitant You're running a ruby red state here, sir. So this sounds like a lot of people who would live in West Virginia. How do you convince them to take the vaccine?
11: Margaret, you've got to be truthful and you've got to be transparent and you've got to earn their trust and keep them with you. You know, for I mean, every single day, you know, or every other day I'm talking to them. I tell them everything the right and the left hand in my administration knows what each other's doing. All of our health experts that are unbelievable, absolutely, the great Clay Marsh, or the great you know, Dr. Amj- uh, Dr. Amjad, or, or, or General Hoyer, and all the different people that are my ed- medical experts, they're doing an amazing job and everything. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, when we tell our people over and over and over, I tell them, I tell them just this, I tell them this almost every day, for crying out loud, do you really think you're going to take the vaccine and grow antlers? I mean, come on. Just look at all the yeah. medical knowledge that's around you and everything. You've got to be taking the vaccines, and they are.
2: Quickly, before I let you go, uh, same question I put to Governor Murphy. Should the governor of New York resign in the wake of this slew of allegations against him?
11: Well, I don't know every single thing, but I know this. That the states, whether it be New Jersey or New York, I mean, they got it all wrong. You know, we got it right in West Virginia. Little old West Virginia that is, you know, a lot of people perceive these maybe allegations not in a on good personal
2: way. behavior, though.
11: I think it's terrible. And I, I truly believe, you know, that he has a dog's mess on his hands. And with all this, you know, it's where it mm-hmm. stands, it's not going to do anything except get worse. And, okay. I, and I would say he needs to resign.
2: Governor Justice, thank you for your time. On the latest edition of our Facing Forward podcast, I spoke with Alexis Ohanian, founder of 776 and co-founder of Reddit. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Stay with us. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc
1: Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
12: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to Face the
2: Nation. Today marks the 56th anniversary of the March to Selma, also known as Bloody Sunday, a landmark event in the civil rights movement. And last week, the House passed a policing reform bill named after George Floyd, who died in police custody last year in Minneapolis. Jury selection is scheduled to begin tomorrow in the trial of Derek Chauvin, who is charged in Floyd's death. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump is one of the lawyers that represents the family of Mr. Floyd, and he joins us from Houston, Texas. Good morning to you.
13: Good morning, Margaret.
2: Sir, there was a late development over the weekend in regard to the potential third-degree murder charge against this former officer uh, in the state of Minnesota's case. It, will jury selection still begin tomorrow? Will things get underway Monday?
13: It is our understanding that the trial will get underway Monday. Uh, George Flores' family, as the victims who I represent, have been informed that they have every intention of the trial going forward.
2: In anticipation of that, we have seen protests uh, in cities around this country, in Minneapolis. Some businesses are already being boarded up in fear of potential violence like what engulfed that city last June. You've been with the Floyd family. What is their message to protesters?
13: Well, their message is thank you for standing up and exercising your First Amendment rights, but doing so in a peaceful way. I know Attorney General Keith Ellison, the first African-American attorney general for the state of Minnesota, is going to prosecute this case zealously. And that's why they move for the third-degree murder charges to be instated, because they want to make sure that the jury has every option to hold Derek Chauvin criminally liable for the torture, the inhumanity, and the murder. Of George Floyd,
2: that is the state's case. We know that often happens before the, a federal case gets underway, uh, but there has been uh, a grand jury impaneled, uh in Minneapolis, and the Justice Department has called new witnesses. I mean, do you have any indication as to how the Biden administration's Justice Department is going to handle this?
13: Well, it is my belief that uh, George Floyd's civil rights were violated. I mean, you look at that video, you hear him say, 28 times I can't breathe. The public is begging the police to take the knee off his neck. They say his nose is bleeding. He can't breathe. He's going unconscious. You're going to kill him. If that's not a deprivation of his civil rights to live, I don't know what is. And Margaret, my whole life's mission as a civil rights attorney has been to be an unapologetic defender of black life and black liberty and black humanity. And we saw that Derek Chauvin, on May 25, 2020, took all of that away from a black man who was restrained face down in handcuffs.
2: As a candidate, Joe Biden did speak with George Floyd's family, and he made promises. And I wonder what your understanding is in terms of what's actually going to be delivered.
13: Well, President Biden, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris spoke with uh, George Floyd's family, as many of my other clients, uh, Jacob Blake Jr. and Breonna Taylor's family, while they were campaigning. And they... uh, we're sincere in saying they believe we need to have uh, police reform. We need systematic change and reform in policing. And I know millions of black people went out and voted in these cities like uh, Atlanta and Milwaukee and Detroit with George Floyd and Breonna on their mind. And so it is my hope that President Biden who said that this was going to be a uh, priority for him to get police and reform, that he will not ever forget those conversations with George Floyd family, those conversations with Breonna Taylor's brokenhearted mother, those conversations with Jacob Blake, who's paralyzed because their lives matter, black lives matter. And this would be something that he could deliver Mm -hmm. that will be a permanent brand for his legacy, that he did not forget those black people who he talked to on the campaign trail once he ascended to the leader of the free world.
2: And those political promises are often hard to deliver on when you look at the reality of what has happened with this George Floyd policing reform bill, which... Uh, passed the House again uh, this past week, but is now headed to the Senate, which we know in the past it stalled there. W- what area is there for compromise? Can you stomach anything compromised, on qualified immunity?
13: Well, we understand that uh, politics is the art of compromise because we want to make progress. However, unqualified immunity, Margaret, mm-hmm. this has to be addressed, because this is the thing that allows bad police officers to engage in uh, reprehensible conduct, like we saw with George Floyd, and countless, I mean, hundreds of black people being killed. And it, uh, it shields their behavior. And we're not saying that disqualified immunity reform Mm -hmm. will deny police officers their due process. But what we are saying, it will allow those who have been harmed to have access to court, to be able to make sure we change the toxic nature that some of us feel uh, happens in policing when we look at that George Floyd video. Mm -hmm. We can do better, America. We must do better.
2: We will watch on that provision in particular. Thank you, Mr. Crump, for your time. We return now to our coverage of COVID-19 and a look at what's happening around the world. Senior foreign affairs correspondent Liz Palmer reports from London.
7: Good morning. Well, first the good news. The number of COVID deaths worldwide peaked at the end of January and it's been in decline ever since. The bad news is that the disease has cost two and a half million lives and counting. This week, Europe marked a solemn anniversary. It's been a year since the coronavirus exploded here. The Swiss observed a minute of silence for victims. Thankful things are improving, but the crisis in Europe isn't over. The Czech Republic has asked for help with one of the worst outbreaks anywhere in the world. And with a slow, many would say bungled vaccination rollout, there are hot spots across the continent. Still, there is evidence that globally, things are moving in the right direction. Millions of vaccine doses arrived in Africa at last. Dignitaries lined up on the runway to greet them. The first shot in Nigeria went to Dr. Ngong Cyprian.
14: I will feel greater when about 70% of Nigerians have been vaccinated.
7: So, only 150 million left to go. And finally, Brazil deaths are rising sharply again and epidemiologists worry about a variant that emerged in the amazon which may resist some vaccines and be able to infect people twice the The advice from jair bolsonaro brazil's president stop whining here in England, we're still under strict lockdown. Pubs, restaurants, businesses, they're all closed. But tomorrow, students go back to school across the country. A big step back toward normality. Margaret?
2: Thank you, Liz. We go now to former FDA Commissioner, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He sits on the board of Pfizer as well as Illumina, and he joins us from Westport, Connecticut. Good morning to you, Doctor. Good morning. Uh, I thought there was some uh, news there from Dr. Fauci on a few fronts, Uh, one of them saying elementary school kids could be vaccinated in the first quarter of 2022, high school kids possibly by the fall. That seems new.
15: I think that's right. I think when you're looking at vaccinating children, they're going to look at it from the standpoint of the social environment that the kids are in. So they'll look at it based on kids in high school, kids in middle school, kids in grade school. I think the likelihood that we're going to be ready to uh, to vaccinate grade school kids is very unlikely, at least this year. I think that's really a 2022 event, probably, looking at the studies that need to get done. I think it's probable that we will be vaccinating high school kids at some point this year. One of the vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, I'm on the board of that company, is already approved down to 16. There's studies underway with all the vaccines looking at younger um, age populations with their vaccines. And so I think we'll be in a position to be ready to vaccinate a high school age population sometime this fall, maybe not at the start of the school year, but be able to put it into that environment if we do get in trouble with the virus later this fall or the winter. And so you'll be looking at vaccine ninth grade and above, getting it into that high school setting. Then we'll have to contemplate whether we put it in middle schools and junior high schools.
2: One of the other things uh, he indicated is that there will be soon to be released guidelines on what you can actually do once you're vaccinated. Um, From your perspective, What can you do can you go in and eat indoors at a restaurant right now
15: look i think people who are fully vaccinated have waited the full two weeks after the second dose of the vaccinations are going to feel more confident going out we need to accommodate that public health guidance needs to take into consideration what people want to do Um, We can't be so far behind the aspirations of the public that the guidance itself gets ignored. I think people are rightly sensing that vulnerability overall is declining right now as you see more and more people get vaccinated, as we have more population-wide immunity from this virus from prior infection as well. So people are going to want to start to do things. They're going to want to start to go out more, and we need to take that into consideration in terms of how we're putting out Just looking at nursing homes alone, um, if you look at overall deaths, they are declining, but of the deaths that are occurring, 13% right now are occurring in nursing homes. That's down from 40%. And so that's a real significant indication that the overall vulnerability of the most vulnerable people, those who are succumbing to COVID, is starting to decline quite dramatically as we get more of them vaccinated. Right now, this week, we're probably going to hit about 60% of those, uh, excuse me, 70% of those above the age of 75 are going to be vaccinated, 60% of those above the age of 65. 65, fully almost 25% of adults are going to be vaccinated probably by the end of this week. So we're reducing the overall vulnerability of the population. And final point, I mean, some of the optimism is also being driven by growing science suggesting that these vaccines, all the vaccines, not only prevent COVID disease, prevent symptoms, but also prevent transmission. So they could have a dramatic effect on reducing the overall tenor of the epidemic.
2: The exception, though, are some of these variants, like those in New York, that are showing that they uh, can't be pierced. So what do we do about that? How widespread is this New York variant?
15: Well, there's two New York variants. So there's 1525, 1526. One of them we're more worried about, the 1526, because it has this mutation that seems to suggest that people who had prior infection to get reinfected, and perhaps the vaccines might not be as effective. It still represents a small amount of the overall infection. It's probably going to grow. We've now found it in Georgia. The variant that's going to become the prevalent strain here in the United States is the B117, 1. 1. that UK variant. Right now, it's 40% of infections in Florida, 30% in California. Um, that's gonna become the most prevalent strain. Now, that strain, when it does become prevalent, probably is gonna crowd out some of these other strains, the 1351 in South Africa and the P1 variant in Brazil. There's probably some crossover between the immunity you get from B117 and immunity against those other strains, but that's gonna probably cause infections to tick back up. I don't think mm-hmm. we're gonna see another surge of infection this spring, but we might see a plateauing before we see continued declines again.
2: You know, we look back at some of your remarks from a year ago. You've been pretty on the money with your predictions. Um, But at this time a year ago, we weren't wearing masks. We weren't told to until April by the federal government. Now we're being asked to continue wearing them. Um, From where you sit, is that the biggest mistake? I mean, how would you grade our performance as a country?
15: I think the masks are the single biggest mistake because it was the easiest intervention that we could have reached for early to prevent spread. I think this was a real failure to detect all of the asymptomatic spread. We overestimated the role of fomites, of contaminated surfaces in spraying this virus because we weren't recognizing all the spread that was happening from asymptomatic individuals because we weren't doing good tracking and tracing we were using a flu model to detect COVID spread and it wasn't applicable. So CDC was very slow to recognize this. If we had recognized earlier all the spread through asymptomatic transmission and the fact that this is spreading not just through droplets but also aerosolization in closed environments, we probably would have recommended masks and high quality masks much earlier. So that was probably the single biggest mistake, Mm -hmm. largely because it was the single easiest intervention that we could have reached for early.
2: Dr. Gottlieb, thank you for helping us navigate this over the past year. And, uh, in the weeks ahead, we'll be back in a moment.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana.
16: It doesn't get any better than this.
1: Your favorite seats, the best spot in the house, make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
16: There really is no place like home.
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
12: Oh.
1: <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes.
16: Talk about starting the morning right.
1: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Oh. mm Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient, comfortable. Ah!
2: One year ago this week, many of us realized that COVID-19 was going to dramatically change our lives. We spoke with several Americans from across the country to reflect on the last year and look ahead. We began by asking if the group trusted the
5: vaccine. I trust the vaccine, but I don't think that the vaccine is just going to be the, the cure all and everything is going to be lovely. Uh, but I think this makes things a whole lot better.
14: The vaccines uh, that are out seem to be pretty effective. Um, it seems to be uh, a much better way to achieve herd immunity via immunization than, you know, just having virus ravaged through communities. I'd rather wait.
4: I don't want to be a guinea pig. Mm.
2: And is that how you view taking the vaccine right now for the 50 million Americans who've taken it?
4: Yes, ma'am. At at this point, uh, I would rather wait a year or two, make sure people aren't dying from it or turn into robots or something like that. (laughs) But uh, I'd rather wait.
2: And, And Gabriel, is that where you are?
6: I would never consider taking it. Like Sandy said, I don't want to be a guinea pig.
2: Sherry and Gabriel, you live in states where there is no mask mandate. Do you both wear masks,
12: Sherry? Um, Yes, I I do. I'd rather err on the side of caution um, and not transmit anything to somebody else that could cause them to to get sick and possibly die.
6: I just don't think they work like they say they do.
12: Do you consider it a burden?
6: Yes, ma'am, I do. Why? Because they're trying to force me to do something that, I personally don't feel I need to do.
2: When you hear this is aerosol, that it passes through the air, that coughing is in part how this virus is spread. Do you not believe any of that science?
6: No, ma'am, I don't. The
4: other day I was walking at a restaurant and uh, they had uh, onion rings. I had my mask on. I could still smell it. So if I can still smell those onion rings, what else is getting through that mask?
2: Well, in terms of the aerosol particles that you would be sharing, do you not see the barrier as doing anything?
4: No, it's not. Obviously I can still smell those onion rings cooking. So what else is coming through that mask? So the mask isn't working.
2: How many of you would feel confident to go in and sit indoors and eat at a restaurant right now? Can I see a show of hands?
6: We've We've already done it several times. We do at least once or twice a month.
2: And would all of you feel safe getting on an airplane right now? Show of hands.
6: My wife Uh, came back from a funeral. She flew all the way to Oregon and, you know, I just didn't have any problem. So
5: I am going to take my first flight since the pandemic in a couple months. My sister and I both got our vaccines and everything and we're going to put our masks on and we're going to go to Vegas and have a good time. <laughs> That's what we're going to do.
2: But you got your shot and you got your mask. So you, yes. you, you've you got your armor with you, Tanya. Yes. Has the past year been difficult for you, Sandy?
4: It hasn't really changed too much.
12: Sherry, has this been tough for you? Um, it has been. As a teacher, there's some distancing um, that's difficult for the five-year-olds. Sometimes when a child is crying or they're upset, I kind of do throw that social distancing out, and I have to give them a hug and try to calm them down. But as far as difficulty, it's been hard to be in the minority in my community as far as following the regulations and, and the suggestions uh, for safety. What part of it has been difficult? It's been difficult to be um, the outsider of when others are skeptical of the validity of the pandemic.
2: Tanya, did you feel uh, that you had a similar experience? I mean, what part of this past year was difficult?
12: When the
5: pandemic hit, my family got to see it up close and personal. My nephew, early on, was stricken with the pandemic. Uh, he spent, we thought we were going to lose him. He spent like three weeks on a ventilator. couldn't get in the scene. Uh, it, it was just, it was heartbreaking.
2: Juan, what about you? How was this past year for you?
14: Um, personally, actually, it, it hasn't affected me as much as it's affected business owners. It's affected educators like Um, uh, Sheree. um I'm... I feel like I'm lucky in that sense, obviously, but um, uh, as a gig worker, I, you know, do take some risk. Um, I wear my mask. I make sure that my passengers wear masks as well.
2: When this is over, what is it that you are looking forward to doing?
4: Uh, my parents are elderly and uh, I do wear a mask with them, but I'm looking forward to being a Going up to them and being able to hug
6: them and not
4: having to wear a stupid
6: mask.
2: Is that what everyone misses the most, being able to hug and kiss and shake hands? Sure.
6: Absolutely. I mean, for me, church is important to our family. You know, we haven't been in church You know, over a year. We've been doing some Zoom things and everything.
12: Same here. Our church was big huggers during our um, giving of the peace, and I just miss them. And Tanya, you were saying Yes. Yes,
5: I, uh, I come from a, a big family, and uh, my mom is still with us. She's 91 years old, and she's in better shape than all of us. Just being able to, you know, have
12: her come to dinner. You know, I can't do that now. Sherry, what about you? I'm definitely missing hugging my friends and spending time with them. Um, We didn't do it as much as we used to, you know, we were always like, oh, we'll see each other sometime. Now we're definitely going to hang out.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Juan, what's the the first thing you're going to do once you get that vaccine?
14: Probably travel, just, you know, just be around friends and, you know, go to restaurants, you know, have things be back to normal. Just, you know, go out in the street and and see people walking around without masks.
2: When you hear, you know, Juan and Tanya and, and Sherry talk about their experiences and their hope... Um, do you have a second thought and say, well, why not take some of these measures like getting a vaccine or wearing a mask if it gets us back to normal faster? No, ma'am. None of it makes you question your decision. No, ma'am. And same with you, Sandy.
4: As far as wearing a mask, I think it's all over. And, uh, I think this virus is pretty much done. It's just uh, we're on the, the long stretch and, or mm. the last stretch, and that's pretty much it. But you can see the second flag is already there, so it's pretty much done.
2: But as you heard Dr. Fauci warned this week, the country still has between 60 and 70,000 new infections a day, and we are at risk of another spike. The virus is not yet done with us. An extended version of our conversation is available on our website. We'll be right back. Thanks for watching. I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were President Biden's Chief Medical Advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, New Jersey Democratic Governor Phil Murphy, West Virginia Republican Governor Jim Justice, Civil Rights Attorney Ben Crump, and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelly Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also broadcast on our digital network,
8: CBSN. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan,
0: you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey.
13: One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader.
16: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.